Luke chapter 5 and verse number 27. Luke chapter 5 and verse number 27. Luke chapter 5 and verse number 27. Twenty-seven. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And so he left all, rose up, and followed him. And then Levi gave a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of collectors and others who sat at his house with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to him, Those who are well need not a physician, but those who are sick. For I have, come to call the, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So I start a new sermon series with Meals with Jesus, and we're dealing with the unlikely guest. We're looking at the story of Matthew, the tax collector, and we're going to learn from him. And the Bible says, look at verse number 29, Luke 5, 29. Then Levi gave a great feast. Somebody say a great feast. Tommy knows they had dinner at his house. So a great feast at his house and a great number of tax collectors was there. Pastor Orlando, just stand and bless the sermon this morning. Amen. Somebody say amen. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at the book of Luke for the next, I think at least, at least six Sundays, and we're going to look at the meals with Jesus. Meals with Jesus. Put that slide back up there, please. Meals with Jesus. And this is going to be six weeks, except for maybe uh, Father's Day. There might be a, a change of plans on Father's Day. But other than that, we're going to look at meals with Jesus. And so for the next month or so, we're going to look at the book of Luke, just the book of Luke, and we're going to explore what happens when people invite Jesus for a meal. When people invite Jesus for a meal. So you don't want to miss this. You want to make sure you're here every Sunday. And if you're on vacation, make sure you listen online at the website. Uh, did you know that the... Did you know that people spend at least 67 minutes a day eating? 67 minutes a day eating. That is over 38,000 hours in a lifetime. 38,000 hours of eating in a lifetime. And we will consume over 35 tons of food in a lifetime. How many would agree with Pastor that eating is a large part of our life? We spend at least an hour a day eating, over 38,000 hours in a lifetime eating, and we will consume over 35 tons of food in a lifetime. We live in a culture that is constantly bombarded with images of food. There's restaurants on every corner. Food is all around us. We live in a feasting society. Just think about it. Almost every major and special event is surrounded by food. Weddings, funerals, graduations, birthdays, holidays, it's all surrounded by food. Food can bring us together in a way that nothing else can. Food has a way of bringing us together. If you are inviting somebody next week, 
and this weekend just tell them we're having food because food can bring us together when nothing else can. I mean, we enjoy eating, don't we? That's why God gave us taste buds. We enjoy eating. But I believe, ladies and gentlemen, it's much deeper than just eating a meal. There is something about sitting down at the table with people that you care about and that you love to have a meal with. We sit at the same level with them because we look at them in the eye because we care about them and we love them. We talk about our shared needs. You see, it's not about just eating food. It's about sharing a meal together. It's not very popular nowadays for us to eat a meal without our cell phones. We, it seems like every time we sit down, and I've been guilty of it, we, we sit down and what do we do? We play with our phones. Ladies and gentlemen, all you're really doing is just eating food, but you're not communing with one another. You're not building relationships with one another. You see, when we sit down to eat, it's more than just eating food. It is a relational building. It's building relationships. How do you feel when somebody's talking to you and they're not paying attention to you? And that's what we do sometimes when we sit down at the table. We're not giving our full undivided attention to people. You see, when we have a meal, it's more than just eating food. It is about hospitality. It's about friendship. It's about welcome. It's about community. It's about intimacy. It's about family. It's about association. It's about closeness. You see, when we eat together, it's just not about food. It's about connection with people. When you eat food, you are feeding your body physically, but yet when you commune with one another, you are also engaging relationally and emotionally with people. See, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 46, this was the early church, and I quote, so they continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You see what they were doing? They were having church together, but they were also eating together. So how many would raise your hand and agree with the preacher that church and eating together goes hand in hand? They would feed themselves physically, but they would relate to each other emotionally and relationally because they did it together. I hope you don't think I'm preaching about food. Because I'm not preaching about food. Food is a means to an end. I'm really talking about the power of what happens when people eat a meal together at the table of fellowship. I'm talking about more than just eating food. I'm talking about what happens when you sit together with people you love and what God can do at the table. You see, food can bring us together with people, but fellowship can bring us together spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. You see, we do a lot of eating. We consume 35 tons of food in a lifetime. We eat an hour a day. That's 38,000 hours in a lifetime. We do a lot of eating. What would happen if we strategically eat with people and develop friendships and relationships with them? Some of my most powerful experiences in life is when I've sat at the dinner table with preachers who are older than I am and they fed me a meal and spoke into my life. You see, we're going to look at the book of Luke 
this month. And we're going to see all the times that Jesus had a meal with somebody. And that meal changed their life forever. Do you know that in the book of Luke, in the book of Luke alone, in the book of Luke alone, Jesus was eating a lot. For instance, Luke chapter 5 Jesus is eating with tax collectors. I just read it to you. Luke chapter 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon at a meal. Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats at the house of Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and Sadducees of the law over a meal. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to the table rather than their friends. Luke chapter 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 22, we have the account of the Last Supper with the disciples. And Luke chapter 24, the risen Christ has a meal with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus and at the end of the chapter, they eat again and they eat fish. This is all found in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's either at a meal, or he's coming back from a meal. In the book of Luke, Jesus is eating a lot. But he's eating with people. He's making friendships. He's being relational with people. He is developing community with people. It's just not eating food. He is sitting at the table and he is connecting with people. Ladies and gentlemen, years ago, America used to sit out on the front porch and drink our sweet tea and talk to our neighbors and friends. But nowadays, we have enclosed fences in the backyards, and we don't even talk to our neighbors any longer. We sit at the table, and our children play with their iPhones, and our conversation is just, how was your day? And that was basically all there is. When was the last time you saw power in sitting down at the table and fellowshipping with people? Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are going on a road to explore how it can be powerful to sit down at the table and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. That's what we're going to do next Sunday after church. I want you to stay in fellowship with us. I want you to commune with us. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I like this church. You want us to shake hands too much. You want us to eat too much. Well, guess what? It's all found in the Bible because I am trying to get people to have relationships because the enemy is about severing relationships. The enemy is about discord and disunity and division, but God is about unity and community and relationships. That's what God is about. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost don't do it alone. They do it together. You see, we're going to look at the book of Luke. How many knows this is good stuff this morning? We're going to look at the book of Luke. And we're going to see where Jesus had a meal with somebody. And that meal had changed their life. Now, in Jesus' day, there were reasons why you ate together. Number one... There were social orders. Number one, you ate together because it supported kinship. So when you sit down at the table, whoever was at the table was who was in the family and who was a part of the clan. So if Johnny and Susie and Margaret and all of them are sitting at the table, guess what? The father who was at the table approved who was sitting at the table. They were a part of the family. 
Sometimes extended family would come. Hired workers or slaves would be at the table. That They were all part of the clan that supported kinship. So when you sit at the table, you are saying, I'm a part of this family. That's what you're saying. I belong to this family. I'm about to shout here. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are saying, I'm a part of the family of God. Somebody say amen. So eating together supported kinship. Number one. Number two, it enforced boundaries. In other words, hierarchy, status, and gender. In other words, whoever sat at the head of the table was higher than the person who sat at the foot of the table. The wealthy would sit at the head of the table, while the poor would sit at the end of the table. So it established boundaries. Wherever you're sitting at the table, indi- excuse me, indicated your status, your gender, or the hierarchy. Women usually never sat at the table. Women usually served, while men sat at the table. So it enforced boundaries. Number three, it, it uh, perpetuated social values. In other words, sometimes at a meal, they would sing songs, they would pray together, or they would wash feet. You remember that? They would do those things at a meal. Wash your feet. They would say prayers. Number four, they also had meals together because it was an honor thing. So if I wanted to invite a guest, I would set them at the head of the table and I would show my guest off. So when you ate together in Bible days, it supported kinship, it enforced boundaries, it enforced social values, and it was a sense of honor. Those were the reasons why you would eat together in Bible days. Well, how many knows Jesus broke all of those rules? Jesus broke all of those rules. You know why? Because Jesus ate with sinners. Sinners were not part of the clan. Jesus ate with sinners, Luke 5. Jesus allowed a woman to be at the table to wash his feet. He allowed the disciples to pluck grain on the Sabbath day, and he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus broke all of the rules. He broke the kinship rule. He broke the boundaries rule. He broke the social values rule. And he broke the honor rule. Jesus broke all of these rules. Jesus used food. Jesus used meals as disrupting social values and overturning normal standards of behavior and honor. Jesus broke it all. Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm not going to put the last, I'm not going to put the poor at the end of the table. I'm going to bring the poor to the head of the table. I'm not going to exclude women from the dinner table. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let the women wash my feet at the table. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus used meals to disrupt their behavior and their social status. That is why in the book of Luke, when you looked at the book of Luke, Jesus is always eating with people because Jesus is trying to tell us something that I am trying to break down your standards. I am trying to break down your rules. I'm trying to break down what you have preconceived as right. And I am trying to open the table for everyone to set together as a body. Isn't it interesting? I just want, to, I want you to see something. Everybody look up here. 
this is interesting to me. In Luke chapter 5, if you look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1, and you don't have to put it up there. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 is fishermen. Jesus is calling fishermen, right? Everybody shout fishermen. Ch uh, chapter 5, the same chapter, in verse number 12, Jesus cleanses a leper. Somebody say leper. In verse number 17, Jesus heals a paralytic. Somebody say a paralytic. And then, in verse number 27, Jesus calls Matthew, who is a tax collector. Do you see behind me the progression here? Number one, Jesus calls the uneducated. That is the, that is the fisherman. Then Jesus heals the leper. That is the unclean. And then Jesus heals the paralytic. That is, he is unable. He can't walk. And then verse 27, he calls Matthew the tax collector, and he is undeserving. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, I am calling to the uneducated. I am calling to the unclean. I'm calling to the unable. I'm calling to the undeserving. And guess what? Guess what Jesus does? Jesus has a meal with the undeserving. Who is the undeserving? The tax collector. Jesus sits down at the table and he eats with the tax collector. You know what that is? That is a picture of salvation. God is coming to live among sinners. God sitting down at the table with sinners, eating with the undeserving. That is what salvation is. Is when God and humanity share from the same table. And what does Jesus do? Jesus eats with the undeserving. He eats with the tax collector. He eats with Matthew. And the call is going out, ladies and gentlemen, even today, that Christ, his love is even to the undeserving, even today. Even today, his love is even to the undeserving. The uneducated, the unclean, the unable, the undeserving. That is why I'm making a pool for you to invite the uneducated, the unclean, the unable, and the undeserving to church. Listen, if you don't invite them, who's going to invite them? Somebody, listen to me ladies and gentlemen, you know somebody that needs the Lord. You work with somebody. You fellowship with somebody. You, you see the teller at the bank. There is somebody that you know that needs Jesus Christ and you are the salt and the light. You have the potential to open your mouth. When was the last time you made an effort to invite somebody to the house of God? When was the last time that you thought about somebody else instead of yourself? I want you to make an intentional effort this week to invite the unsaved. Listen, 80% of those who come to church come to church because somebody invited them. They don't, people don't come to church because the preacher's good and the music's good. They come to church because they know somebody. They come to church because they have friends here. They, have, they come to church because they're connected to somebody. And I'm asking you that the Holy Ghost of God would get a hold of your heart and your heart would be compelled to invite somebody to church this weekend. Take them out to eat this week. Take them out and have a meal with them. Share your life together with them and then say, listen, I was thinking, you want to come to church with me Sunday? Jesus ate with the sinners. There's something about eating with the unsaved that has power to it. I want you to look at 
you know, and I'm just going to be honest. I think I'm too churchy. Really. I think I'm too churchy, too stuffy. I, I think I am. I need to have more friends who are sinners. Because all my friends are Christians and preachers. And the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me. I need to get out and, and get some friends who are unsaved. You say, well, preacher, you might be like them. I'm just going to say this real loud. What's on me is greater than what's on them. They better be afraid that it don't jump off of me and jump on them. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, greater is he that's on me than he that's in the world? I'm asking you, invite somebody. Now, what does Jesus? Jesus eats with the sinners. Luke chapter 5 and verse 27, look at it. Luke 5, 27, after these, after these things, he went and saw a tax collector named Levi. You see that? That's Matthew. And what did Jesus do? He said, follow me. He saw him at the tax office, office and said, follow me. The very first thing I want you to see this morning is the call. The call. Somebody shout the call. You know what Jesus did? I'm about to shout here. Jesus saw him at the tax office. Is that right? Put that scripture back up there, please. Luke 5, 27. Jesus calls him where? At the tax office. You know what the Spirit is saying? Jesus calls him from his place of sin. He was in a place of sin but Jesus called Matthew from the place of sin. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what Jesus does. He calls us from the place of sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus calls Matthew out of the tax office. He calls him out of the place of sin. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God has called us from the place of sin? Someone said there's four types of love. First, there is because love. I love you because you're beautiful. You're talented and you make me feel special. The second type of love is when love. I love you when you're good. I love, love you when you're faithful. I love you when you're obedient. The third type of love is if love. I love you if you please me. I love you if you don't hurt me. I love you if you can measure up to my expectation. But there's the fourth type of love, and this love is called period love. I love you, period. It doesn't matter what you've done to me or what you haven't done. I love you regardless. I love you, period. And you know what Christ did? He calls Matthew out of his tax office. He calls him out of his place of sin and said, Matthew, I love you not because you did something, not because you love me. I love you, period. I love you. Hallelujah. My God, church, clap your hands and do something.
<laughs> you see this sweat up here? Help the brother out. You can at least clap. All right? He loves us, period. He doesn't love you because. He doesn't love you when. He doesn't love you if. He loves you, period. And he calls Matthew out of the tax office. That's the call. Verse 28, Matthew 5, 28. The Bible says the response, the response. You have the call, and now you got the response. Verse 28, Jesus calls Matthew. And verse number 28, the Bible says, And he left all, rose and followed Jesus. Hallelujah. Do you see what happened here? Matthew left everything he had and followed Jesus. I'm going to say that again. He left it all and followed Jesus. This is the sign that you have truly followed Jesus. How do I know I'm following Jesus when you are willing to leave it all behind and follow him? That's how you know your heart has been converted. That's how you know the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. When you can leave everything and follow Jesus. Some of you worship your kids as gods. You worship your spouse as a god. You worship your job as a god. You worship your car as a god. Your boat as a god. And your life falls apart if those things are not in place. You have not really followed Jesus. Jesus demands Everything. Matthew rose and left it all. That means he left everything. Why did he have a quick response? Because he knew Jesus' reputation. He heard about Jesus. He saw something in Jesus that he wanted. He saw something in Jesus' life that he knew he needed. And that's why he responded that way. Listen, Jesus never asked for our hearts. He asked for our life. If all you've given Jesus is your heart, then you've missed the point. Jesus desires your life. He desires your money. He is concerned about how you spend your money. He's concerned about how you treat your spouse. He's concerned about how you do your resources, your job, your friendships, and your relationships. Let me ask you a question. Has Jesus affected everything about your life? Has it affected your talk? I mean, has it affected anything in your life? Or is it just affected one day a week? Matthew got up and left everything and followed Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Or whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? How much has he affected your life in closing and I got 11.58. I got two minutes. Somebody give it up. Up in here, up in here. Verse 29. You have, listen, the call, the response. You got the witness. What does he do? 29, verse number 29. What does he do? Then Levi gave a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors there who sat down with them. What did he do? Listen to me, church. 
Matthew got saved. He's following Jesus, and guess what he does? He gets so excited about it, he goes to his house and makes a meal and invites all of his friends over and says, I want to introduce you to somebody that's changed my life. You see what a meal can do? Do you see what having dinner can do? He wanted to celebrate that his life was changed, and so he had a dinner for all of his friends to show Jesus off. That's what we're going to do. We're going to eat next week together, and we're going to show Jesus off in the process. Did you hear me? Did you? That is why some, some churches have small groups. They get together in homes and have meals and talk about the love of God. They had a meal together because he was concerned. I need to tell my friends about Jesus. Listen, some people don't have friends outside the church, but Jesus didn't have that problem. He did not run or hide from the world. He engaged them. Often what the outsider, often what the sinners need is a genuine friendship with someone Sinners will come to church if you make an effort to be their friend. That does not mean you approve of their lifestyle. That does not mean you approve of what they do. But you can still be their friend without agreeing with everything they do. Jesus not only forgives, you know what Jesus does? He sits down at the table and he eats with them. He eats with them. He eats with the tax collectors. He eats with the sinners. Jesus is sitting at the meal and he's looking at the sinners saying, tell me about your life. Tell me. Tell me about your family. I want to know about you because that's what we do when we eat together. We learn about people's lives. Makes you feel important. Jesus said at the table, said, Matthew, tell me about your life. Matthew began to feel, wow, this man can heal the sick, but he wants to know about me. Because that's what a meal can do. Lastly, you have a complaint. Because what did the Pharisees say? The Pharisees said, he's eating with tax collectors. He's eating with sinners. It's like you telling me. Oh, pastor, don't hang out with the bikers. You might become one. Believe me, that will never happen. The complaint was, how in the world can he eat with sinners, right? How can he associate with sinners? But what did Jesus do? This is, this is powerful. You know what Jesus said? Jesus stood up and said to those religious leaders, he said, the sick does not need a doctor. Is that what it said? Verse number 31, Luke 5, 31, Jesus answered and said, Those who are well need not a physician, but those who are what? And I have come to call the righteous to repentance. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying this. It's like kind of like doctors saying, I don't need to associate with sick people. Of course doctors will associate themselves with sick people. You know why? Because doctors have the cure. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to associate myself with sinners because they don't have the cure. I have the cure. Woo! That is why you have the cure 
You have the ability to invite somebody and say, listen, I know you don't have the cure. I know your life's messed up. But why don't you come to church and let me introduce you to somebody that does have the cure? The reason Jesus associated with the sinners is because he knew the sinners can't help themselves. They don't have the cure. The doctor has it. And you know what? Listen, listen to me. Oh, Lord, I'm three minutes over. I'm stopping. Look here. Lana, I lied. Three minutes over. Listen, look, 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 look. The scripture said, Jesus, don't lose this. This is powerful. Jesus said, I have come for those who are sick. He never said they were a criminal. You stay away from criminals, but you can't stay away from sick people. Sinners are not criminals. The penalty has been released from them because of the cross. They are sick and don't know it, but you are the doctor, and let's bring the cure to the world. Hallelujah! Would you stand? Did I do okay? How many... <laughs> How many is going to make an effort to invite somebody to church next Sunday? How many is going to invite them at least make an effort this Saturday at 10 o'clock? Would you do that? Would you get an act of kindness? Sit down and have a meal with someone. Now, this is what the Spirit is saying. Everybody look at Pastor Josh. The challenge is this. As a result of what I preach today, what are you going to do about it? And this is what I'm asking you to do. When you go to dinner today, or this week, I'm asking you for this week, because every week I'm going to have a challenge. I'm asking you this week, when you sit down at the dinner table to eat, let's put away our cell phones, the whole meal. I'm glad somebody thinks that's a good idea. I'm asking you, when you eat this week, let's put away our cell phones and let's talk to the person across the table. I got to do it. You keep me accountable. We all got to do it together. How many will do that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Did you enjoy the word today?